So the real concern with weed, politically anyway, was that interracial contact meant a threat to white settlers. And to minimize that threat, you wanted to cut off the alcohol supply and you wanted to cut off the weed supply. This is Craig Patterson. He's a historian at Rhodes University and an expert on the history of cannabis in South Africa. What he's talking about here are the underlying forces that led to cannabis prohibition. We'll see how Charles Darwin, colonial governments and flat-out racism are all interwoven threads in the intricate tapestry of the cannabis story. In 2009, an unsuspecting master's student put out a thesis entitled Prohibition and Resistance, a socio-political exploration of the changing dynamics of the South African cannabis trade circa 1950 to the present. The story could have ended there in 2009, with the thesis collecting dust in a university library, along with most other theses. But as is the case with the plant it writes about, it was destined for more. A few years later, this thesis would bust out from under the dust of academia, finding its way first into the hands of cannabis activists and then the public at large. All were fascinated to learn the truth about cannabis on the continent and why it was banned in the first place. Its author and our unsuspecting student was none other than Craig Patterson. And what he didn't realize at the time was how important his thesis would become in shaping the South African cannabis story. In this episode, Craig shares his story while taking us through the fascinating history of the plant and the surprising forces that led to cannabis prohibition in South Africa. You're listening to African Gold, and I'm your host, Neil Liddell. Did you ever imagine that you'd become known as, as the cannabis historian of the country? No, it's really weird. It's, it's really, really weird. When I, w- when I was in honors, I had to decide on what I was going to do this uh, long essay kind of mini thesis on. And I was kind of interested in weed and interested in the way that people spoke about it and just the plant generally. I mean, it's a fascinating plant. And I realized at a point that I probably could pull it off, pull off writing about this, this plant in a way that nobody else had. Because I knew people who grew weed. I knew people who sold weed. I knew people who smuggled weed and figured if I could get these guys to tell their stories, that would be something new. That would be something that no one's heard before. Not in a sort of official voice anyway, you know, like people hear tales, but it's not often that people doing something illegal are willing to sit down and and let you record them talking about it. So that's where it kind of started. But I still didn't expect the response to be what it was, you know. Uh, and yeah. certainly when I wrote that Masters, I didn't expect the dramatic changes we've seen in the last couple of years. Sure. Um, I, I thought that something like just 
personal use at home was at least 20, 30 years away. And then it just started to unravel, you know? Um, so you say like, you know, I've become known as this weed historian and, and it's really strange because no one reads master's theses, you know, they just, they just sit in a library. They're like, it's like reading someone's old exam paper. Uh, and, and somehow just the, the time and place that I was writing in, it just took off, you know? The thesis was out there and Craig was making a name for himself as the expert on the history of weed in South Africa. Analyzing the history records and now with the help of science, the mystery of the origins of the plant has been solved. We're starting to understand how the plant moved around by looking at all these different sorts of evidence, right? So now with this new genome study that they've, they've done, they can show that cannabis was first first started to get domesticated around 12,000 years ago in sort of Central Asia. And it's quite important to know when it started getting domesticated for a plant like cannabis because we're talking about cannabis sativa generally. And sativa, it literally means cultivated, you know. So we're talking about a species of plant that's defined by its domestication. It follows humans, or rather humans drag it along everywhere they go. Um, so from there, it, it headed off in three directions, basically. When it went further east, it was used as a sort of cereal and selectively bred and became like really big oil-rich seeds and stuff. Went west and was selectively bred for the fiber and became what we now call hemp. And then it went south over the Himalayas into India, where it turned into, was selectively bred basically as something to get high on. And so through this recent genome study, which was published in the journal Science just a few months ago, we now know definitively that cannabis originated in East Asia and was first cultivated around 12,000 years ago. Today, it inhabits all corners of the globe, but how did weed make it into the shores of our beloved continent. The early history of the cannabis plant in Africa has been sketched together. Consensus is that it entered the African continent with Arab traders around the mid-12th century. The next step in this plant getting around the world, at least that south version of it, because that's when we're talking about cannabis today, we, if we're talking about hemp, we'll say hemp. If we're talking yeah. about the cereal, we'll talk about the cereal, you know. But when we say cannabis, we're talking about weed, right? So it's that southern migration when it's carried over the Himalayas. That's the important one that we, we focus on. And obviously, there's a lot of trade going on around that area along that coastline, especially with Arab traders. Uh, and those Arab traders were the link between India and Africa. And in the course of trading along the African or the Indian coast, they collected cannabis and in the course of trading on the African coast, they sold it out or swapped it out, bartered with it, however you want to put it. So that's the way it got into Africa, but it spread pretty fast. There were two distinct migrations of the plant through the Great Lakes into the Congo Basin from East Africa and up the Zambezi River with the expansion of Arab trade. As the Bantu nation spread south, so did the plant. We can see evidence of Arab traders having trading stations 
as deep as the Congo by the 19th century. But by the 9th century, they were already going up the Zambezi. So those routes that the Arab traders had were, was the main way that all this cannabis got spread over Africa. So it's clear that the plants came onto the continent via Arab trade routes and from there spread far and wide. But there is another way we can trace the movement of the plant, and that is by its name. As the plant was adopted by different tribes with different languages, so the name of the plant changed slightly each time. And it all started with the Arab word for cannabis, bang. That's coming up after a word from our sponsors. That silence is because we don't have any sponsors. We're bringing you this show for free. But in order to keep it going, we need your help. We have set up a donation page on Supercast that allows you to subscribe to the podcast or donate once off. A lot of time and money has gone into producing this podcast and if you're enjoying it, please consider donating by becoming a member. All profits from this first season will be donated to Fields of Green for All, a cannabis non-profit dedicated to freeing the plant. You'll get access to ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to annoying messages such as this one and a bunch of other cool stuff like the African Gold t-shirt. You'll also go into the prize draw at the end of the season for a chance to win some of the awesome prizes donated by some of the guests of the show. Click on the link in the show notes in your podcast app or go directly to our website at africangold.media. Click on the donate page and join the tribe. The Arabs brought the word bang from ancient Indian Sanskrit roots, which changed with African dialects. Bungee, bangi, lubange, as the plant entered the Congo Basin. Mbangi, mbangi, mbanzi, mtsangu, as it headed down the coast. So you can look at how words change to kind of judge their root through a place where as it moves further away from Arab contact sites, the word becomes less like the Arab word. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but if you look at almost every word for, for cannabis in Africa, you can in one way or another trace it back to the Arabic and um, Indian words for it. Yeah. Fascinating. So we've moved like cannabis is now spread throughout Africa. It's being cultivated. It's being traded. It's not illegal at this time, right? I mean, not so long ago. Let's call it 100 years ago. It's not illegal. Yeah. And I guess the next part of your thesis goes into, which is the really interesting part, is why is it illegal? It's an interesting time, right? Because now we're talking about there is European settlement here. We're Settlers are starting to expand across the country. They're starting to take the country. Um, but there's a kind of political attitude that's changing in Europe and the colonies as all these colonies really pop up around the world. And there's a new way of thinking about government and a new way of thinking about science. And, and people start to take those scientific theories and apply them to society, right? One of these scientific theories was a revolutionary idea proposed by a man by the name of Charles Darwin. The theory, as I'm sure you've guessed by now, is Darwin's theory of evolution. A theory generally accepted by modern science. But, and here's the thing, 
What colonial governments tried to do was apply this theory to society. And this is where things get fucked up. So you had the idea that different kinds of people evolved in different kinds of places and they had a very specific kind of psyche. But now they'd also arranged that on a, on a hierarchy, right? So at the top you had like white man who would actually be like, if you were in Britain, it would be white Englishman. If you were in France, it would be white Frenchman. And, and just going down this list and right at the bottom would be black woman. And there would be quite a strict hierarchy. That hierarchy changed all the time because it's nonsense. So they kept trying to refine this hierarchy, figure out who goes where, and then you end up with something like apartheid where there's like how many different versions of, of colored that are somehow slapped onto this, this hierarchy, you know? But the important thing about that hierarchy was that at the top was civilized and at the bottom was savage. And along with that level of development that was assigned to each person was a level of moral purity. So the person at the top, the white man, was inherently more moral than the people below, more able to keep it together, more intelligent, you know, just, just the damn best, right? Whoa, 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 hang on. So by applying Darwin's theory of evolution to society, which was called social Darwinism, you end up with a rating scale that rates how evolved a type of person is, essentially based on race. This on its own boggles the mind, but it didn't end there. One could actually move down the ladder based on your behavior. That is, if that behavior was seen to be immoral or what they deemed immoral at that time. People started to connect vice with sanity and criminality. So all of a sudden someone can almost become less civilized. They could degenerate morally. They could move down that ladder if they <laughs> engaged in vices. And, that's, and you can see it's not about what vice they're putting in because you're seeing like lists of things that can cause moral degeneration and they'll be smoking hemp, smoking opium, drinking booze, unnatural sexual practices and gambling, you know? So you can see they're not talking about a chemical state. They're talking about like a moral category, a moral action. Acting immorally makes you degenerate, you know? You can also degenerate from being in too much contact with people lower down on the ladder, right? And because you're applying Darwinian evolution to kinds of people, if you, they're evolved in a certain place, they've evolved in a certain lifestyle. So the idea comes up that like white Europeans have evolved to handle cities or urban areas. That's, that's a kind of natural state in a way. And then you've got other people who are evolved to be in maybe rural areas or villages or whatever it might be, right? You take someone out of the village and you put them in the city. You're taking them out of their natural environment and they're going to lose their minds. It's insane, right? It's absolutely yeah. insane. But with that, all of a sudden, 
you've got a situation now, now let's, let's bring this back to South Africa here. So why is weed illegal in South Africa? If that's their mindset, if that's the mindset of the settler society and the people governing the settler society, you're building an economy based on mining that requires a lot of black labor in urban areas. Them simply being in the urban areas is bad for them and for the white people. Because in their conception of it, the chances of those people going mad were very high. So you're looking to minimize interracial contact in this, this framework that they'd invented at the time. And you're looking to minimize the vices because that contributes to moral degeneration, right? So you can't have full segregation because you need black labor. Once there's enough black labor, they pose a threat. So you cut off the vices. So the real concern with weed, politically anyway, was that interracial contact meant a threat to white settlers. And to minimize that threat, you wanted to cut off the alcohol supply and you wanted to cut off the weed supply. And remember, they did both. And they stopped interracial mingling as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat yeah. out. Yeah. 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 Uh, but remember, it wasn't just weed. Like, they wanted to stop black labor drinking as well. They wanted to control access to alcohol for black labor. But they couldn't ban alcohol because all the settlers liked alcohol. They could, however, ban cannabis because it wouldn't affect the politics of their life at all. In a roundabout way, there was a fear of interracial contact. And one of the problems with interracial contact is moral degenerates. So they needed to try and ensure that the interracial contact that did happen and needed to happen to keep the economy going was as sober as possible. So they banned weed. So what ultimately led to cannabis prohibition in South Africa was racism, plain and simple. And a similar thread lies in the prohibition of cannabis in the United States too. Essentially it was this drug of the subculture. It was a drug that was popular among jazz musicians. It was a drug that was used by Mexican immigrants in the American Southwest. Those against the drug used pot's association with both groups to frighten mainstream America. The first thing that they did, which is very important, is that they changed the name to marijuana. They made it sound like a Spanish word so that people would start thinking about the Mexican migrant workers and the black jazz musicians who are smoking this plant and, oh, they're going to rape your white women and we have to make this illegal. I asked Craig about the similarities between U.S. and South African prohibition. It's, it's very similar. Um, not exactly the same because the states, the process kicked off a little bit later and it also was framed in slightly different ways, right? But what I've described to you is a kind of general, general trend around the world, or in the colonies anyway. Um, and, and the US definitely counts as a colony. It might not be a colony of Britain, but it's a settler colonial society. It's, yeah. it's built as a settler colonial society. Uh, and it, it, it keeps those same hallmarks uh, that South Africa did. 
And, and remember, there was connection between the, the southern states and the Boer republics, for example. There were like open diplomatic relations. And there's some speculation that it was actually the Boer republics that pressured the southern states to first start uh, passing uh, legislation against cannabis. And South Africa had an even bigger role to play in the global prohibition of cannabis. We were the first country to bring it to the table at the UN, then called the League of Nations, calling for a worldwide ban on the devil's weed. It was South Africa who put the idea forward. There was speculation and discussion in other countries um, about doing the same thing. So we shouldn't think of ourselves as too special in that regard. But the, the global prohibition did, in, in its modern form, did start in South Africa. But most places recognized that there were better ways to deal with it. The vast majority of places didn't care and didn't know what hemp was. And this is like, they're writing about this pernicious, pernicious drug that people are smoking and it's driving people crazy all over their country and they want it banned, you know? And they're like, well, I don't want a pernicious drug that's everyone smoking and driving my country mad, so we may as well ban it now. Um, but I'd be surprised if most of the signatories to that amendment anyway knew what Indian hemp was. I don't think they really cared. It wasn't an issue. They were like, why the hell not? All right. So we've seen where cannabis originated and how it spread into Africa. We've looked at the reasons colonial governments banned the plant and how South Africa played an integral part in pushing for global prohibition. But what does someone who studies the past have to say about the future? Do you think... We're going to see legalization here. What are your, th I mean, again, you're a historian, you can't, you look at the past. What do you, so maybe I'm asking the wrong person. But what do, you, what do you reckon the future looks like? Neil, the writing's on the wall, man. The writing is on the wall. Weed will be legal. It's just a matter of how and when. We've crossed a point where prohibition is self-evidently stupid. It is not working and it is entirely pointless. And everyone recognizes that, including the government. And now the only question is, will that process of legalization actually help people or will it just make a handful of people rich? That's yeah. the real question. And you know, that's what I was exploring with Myrtle yesterday in our chat was, how does that look? What does that future look like so that you're not just copying, pasting from other countries and, and yeah, how do you benefit everyone? Yeah. You know, people, the skeptics will say that's exactly what's going to happen is we're just going to cock it up. Um, so I think what the work that Myrtle's doing now is exceptionally important because this needs to be done properly. It know? does need to be done properly. It really, like... <laughs> You know, you say, like, the skeptics say we're going to cock it up. Don't you worry, Neil. We will cock it up, man. We will cock it up. This is an incredibly complicated, like, social context that we're working in. An incredibly complicated economic context. And everyone is looking for how everyone can win. It's going to cock up. <laughs> the thing is, there's, I remember a guy writing back in, 2016 about Fismas 4 and this one line that he used stood out for me and I think about it so often where he said we have to learn to fail better 
Like we need to fail better. If we like, we're going to fail sometimes. We're gonna cock it up, but we got to do it better. <laughs> you know, that's brilliant. Um, and I think that applies to so much in the country, including the way that we legalize weed. We're not going to get it perfect. And I think historically, the people who, in the last century, with prohibition, have really been screwed over. It's poor people, it's black people. Those are the people who are screwed. And I think if we focus everything on making sure that whatever happens, those people don't get screwed again, then whatever happens, we would have failed slightly better than we did before. And that is it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the history lesson and may we all learn to fail better. In the meantime, Keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time for another toke of African gold. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider donating by becoming an African gold member and help us bring you the awesome stories of cannabis on the continent. You'll get access to ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me harp on about how we need your money. And there are a bunch of other cool perks too, t-shirts, prizes, that kind of stuff. Check out the link in the show notes or go directly to our website at africangold.media. Click on the donate button for details. That was africangold.media.